Introducing ADT Self Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cams. It can be easily installed at your convenience and adapts as your needs change. You can add more products at any time and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get down for eSports! <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Nerf This, the esports show whose hosts are secretly trying to undermine each other. I'm your host, Brian Huff, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my buddy Seven. Hello, sir. <laughs> I knew it. I knew I knew that I'd go out uh, at some point in time. Uh doing good. Doing doing well. I don't know who's undermining who. I think this is just complete shit show. So we're, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to check out our WhatsApp screenshots later and we'll be able to figure it I out. Think undermining would uh would hint at the any kind of legitimacy of this show so i i, I don't know if we were all I, trying to poke at each other's gaps in knowledge it would not take a uh, conspiracy to figure that out just saying. maybe that is the undermining you're trying to show that one of us knows something so. <laughs> you you are a faker sir you know about esports right. but also joining me and i have not had to do this in a very long time but i have two co-hosts today as i'm also joined by jules scott hello jules well Hello, hello, hello. I'm just going to sit here and uh and and fill in all of the esports knowledge that is lacking on this show. That's why you're here. That is why I'm here because you two don't know anything about HGC. <laughs> so that's exactly why I'm here. And we'll it did, and it did not together. take any secret planning to figure this out. We just said, "Hey, we've got a gap in HGC knowledge. Jules knows her shit." So, we are going to talk about the HGC. We got a bunch of incredibly Boring. No, just kidding. We have a lot of business news to get to. Uh, Fortnite and ninja drama ladies on stream. By the way, uh, you know, Seven and I are both risking our relationships right now by having a woman on the podcast. So I hope you all very much appreciate that because the rumors are going to start. Uh, we're going to talk about how PUBG is going to fix itself. Clash Royale is throwing some money at esports once again. And Riot really needs to start putting the S in Riot Games. But first, as we hinted at... The HGC Western Clash took place this past weekend. The best teams in EU faced what was supposed to be the best teams in NA. Um, sorry, throwing shade already, but good lord. And I don't even know where we should start here. We should start with the storyline because this seems to be the story, not just with the HGC, but with esports in general, where the NA hype gets super strong, Jules. And then yep. it comes time to put rubber to the road, and we end up with what we ended up with this past weekend. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool NA fan, and so every every time there's a big tournament that comes around that my NA boys are coming in there and they're going to do their thing, you get super optimistic. You're like, this could be the year. This could be the tournament. This could be the one where we actually make a decent showing. And, uh, you know, we got a participation trophy. We did better. <laughs> That's a good thing, right? I should introduce um, you to some TSM fans because they feel your pain. They go through the they, same thing yeah. every year. This is going to be the be year they do folks. good at Worlds. You just wait. <laughs> well, and and 
let me just say for for the record that going if you backed up two years from now um comparatively na looks like uh, uh they look like the champions right now because it used to be it used to be a lot worse it, it was there has definitely been improvement in to the point now that even the eu players will acknowledge that na is starting to quote get better so. <laughs> play the game that sounds so like that's such a pity compliment it's like ah, oh, you guys are doing better keep up the great work buddy like, this tournament was great because na players learned how to log in it's amazing <laughs> yeah yeah they made it, it all the way through the draft they they realized they could pick different characters instead of all the same one like it's it's progress well, I, I think a good way to talk about this is probably actually starting with an EU team because that seems to be what has caused the most havoc to people's brackets during the Western Clash, which is Leftovers, the number four seed, I believe, going into um, the Western Clash on the EU side. And they surprised everybody, um, including your boys, Heroes Hearth. Yes, they did. Now, Leftovers was a team that came up through the open division. So they had, they formed a team. They fought their way through. They earned their spot by knocking out another team to get there. And the same thing is with Heroes Hearth. That's what happened with them last year. But they were made up of a a group of players that were pretty well known, save two of them. Uh, Leftovers pretty much had a bunch of unknowns. People didn't know who these guys were. And they came in uh, for the first first half of HGC. Nah, not so good. Then they picked up Mopsio, who was a tank for Zealots, and just shot straight up. And, you know, they, they squeaked into the Western Clash, but there was a marked improvement. These guys walked into this tournament for the Western Clash literally not thinking they would make it anywhere. They didn't think they were going to do anything. And so they played like they had nothing to lose. And they played against Heroes Hearth Esports, the number one seed in NA that first day. And they took them out 2-0, like knocked them to the lower bracket. And, and I'm handily, here, too. Like, those were, not, those were not like the most beautiful of, Hearth, of uh, Heroes matches either. Like, Leftovers kind of mopped the floor with them. They did. And they had this really aggressive style. Like, you know, people weren't really paying attention to these guys. They probably weren't scrimming a whole lot. They weren't looking at what they were drafting. And it was one of those moments where we all kind of sat there and went, um, <laughs> what, what happened? Because um, this is the number one team in NA. Again, made their way up through the open division and climbed their way up and beat Tempo Storm to beat the to be the top seed in NA. But it was one of those moments where we were like, who are these guys and what happened? Like, and and what did they do to Method? <laughs> I actually got to watch a little bit of that match. That was some craziness. You have to see that match. That was that was on Sunday's yeah. match, and I so I was out and about, but I had it on in the background as I was going around, and I'm thinking, okay, this is where that this is where it ends because Method is a good team. They're a strong team. Yeah. They've got great players, and. Leftovers again walked into this going, we're not going to win. We're just going to do our best. We're going to come in with some funky drafts and do our thing. They go down 0-2, and and then all of a sudden they start winning. And I'm like out and about listening to this on the road going, they're going to sweep this. They're going to reverse sweep this. It was incredible. I, 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 Those guys played a, a total of eight matches before this was leftovers they played a total of eight matches before they even got to dignitas in the finals yep. on that one day like it was 
like you've played eight games like, and you wouldn't know it games. they're up there like dabbing on stage in between yeah. matches like they were having the times of their lives which was great to yeah. watch like it, it was really an awesome story I, I think you touched on this a bit but going back to day one real quick it wasn't just about Heroes Hearth being a disappointment but Tempo Storm who everyone kind of assumed was going to do as good maybe even better than Heroes Hearth to a certain degree were actually the first NA team to go out which was just insane incredibly unexpected i sat here with my mouth hanging open because tempo storm is made up of some of the best players in north america their team had a pretty big shakeup in the beginning of phase two because one of their star players their big kind of carry player uh psalm he decided to to leave the game and go play competitive fortnite so wait and there's it competitive happened. fortnite yeah oh, there breaking is. news <laughs> i know so he wound up he wound up leaving. They had a, a replacement that they were going to to bring in, and his name is Swice from Korea. And it turned out that he could not play with them because he needed to be in the U.S. for six months. He had a visa for six months before he could actually play on an NA team. So they they were really just messed up. They had to go and they found they couldn't pick another like HGC level player because they were all on teams and it was outside of the trade deadline. So they picked up an open division player named Vin who is very talented. But there was like it was literally like they had to find this team cohesion with this brand new player yep. and then compete at the level that they were at which was like number 1, number 2 all these expectations on their shoulders. And I don't know what has happened to that team, but their, their showing at Western Clash was abysmal. Yeah, and it did was, not look like a good team at all. And what was interesting is it's easy to hear what you just said and pin it on Vin, but Vin actually played surprisingly well and had some amazing work on Genji early on that I was quite impressed with. And it, like he definitely stumbled, but I was kind of shocked. You'd think that he would be the weak link and why things fell apart, but it was really lots of other members of the teams that were struggling. Yeah, and it's their like their mainstays were not performing well. Fan, Glaurung, Caterpillar, they were not they were not performing. And I saw after the match that uh, Glaurung put on, on Twitter that it was probably his worst performance in uh, in, a, in a tournament that he's ever had. And I would agree with that. I, he was feeding. He was over-aggressive. He was playing Yorel. And usually Yorel, she can survive pretty much anything. And he was just dying over and over and over again. Really tough to watch. It was like everybody, and I've seen this with a lot of NA teams. This is what happens when they start getting behind is that somebody feels like they have to be the hero. They have to be the major carry, the The, one who's got to pick up the team and put them on their back and pull them through. But they wind up feeding and then dying over and over again, sometimes staggering their deaths. And then you have what happened to Tempo Storm. And like those guys were just dead silent. You did not hear a thing about it. They were, they were not proud of themselves. The only thing I heard on Twitter was like there were problems beforehand that they didn't fix and that they were going to work on fixing them to go into the second part of phase two. Well, they got a lot to fix based on what I saw over the weekend. Like they were they were not the number two team in N.A. by any means. Like it was. Yeah, it was abysmal. But there was a bright spot because Team Freedom actually had a much better showing than the other N.A. teams and made it fairly far in the tournament. They did. They actually made it to a top three finish, which was incredibly 
unexpected for that team because freedom has always been kind of sitting right there in the third, fourth spot. You don't know what team freedom is going to show up at any, any tournament, any match. You could see amazing play or you could see like, what was that draft? And in the history of team freedom, they've been known for their funky drafts. And so it was like, we didn't, we've gotten to that point where it's like the boy who cried wolf, like, oh, you're going to do the funky draft thing again. We've seen that, done that. We're not expecting anything special from you. And they just, they did an amazing job. They, um, they surprised themselves and they and leftovers had the same situation where they both played like they didn't expect they were going to do as well as they did. And it was an interesting Dynamic when you compare it to Heroes Hearth, who said, we had these massive expectations of ourselves and we had the weight of the audience on our shoulders. Like we were America, we were North America's best hope. We were the people that could possibly take down the, the tyrants in, in EU. And I think it got to them. I think it got into their heads. Um, I'm actually going to get a chance to talk to Crowen uh, from Heroes Hearth tomorrow and interview him. So... I plan to talk to him a little bit about some of that because he's mentioned it in a bunch of articles like ESPN just did an article about about them, a couple of different other articles. It was kind of the same thing. The weight of the tournament was on their shoulders and it got to them. It definitely did. Freedom, you know, it was interesting to see Freedom go through because Freedom was one of the few teams that were able to actually figure Leftovers out, though it was a tight match in the yeah. um, in the second round where Team Freedom ended up beating Leftovers 3-2. But Leftovers clearly learned what they needed to learn from that matchup because when they had a rematch in the loser's final bracket, Leftovers swept Team Freedom pretty handily. Yeah, they did. And and that was, they just, they, they figured it out. And it was just really... I don't know. Like, there was just a really cool story to watch. Everybody likes the underdog, right? They just kind of enjoy the fact that somebody out there who you didn't expect is going to do really well to start performing past your expectations. And um, so that's that was pretty much the most exciting thing about the Western Clash was to see these unexpected teams come out. And then, you know, then we had the disappointments. Team Octalysis didn't do so well. They didn't show... But they also came in at number four seed, so they weren't expected to do well. Um, that team is still figuring out their their place in HGC and as a unit. So, but I'm really I was happy to see that Freedom did what they did because it was like, hey, we've got somebody other than Tempo Storm hitting in the top three. Yes, yeah, it gives NA some hope. But I, you know, we've t- we've harped a lot on NA. But when you take Dignitas out of the equation, EU is not actually looking super strong either. Like, this was not where it was like this dominant EU performance where every single EU team looked great. Like, Dignitas obviously hands down the favorites going in. That kind of held up. They basically went undefeated the entire Western Clash, which was dominant. But when you get into, like, your methods and your team liquids, like, there's some work to be done on the EU side, too. Like, we can't just stand up there and crow about how great it was. Like... Absent the leftovers being a surprise, which nobody expected, EU is not looking that much stronger either when we start talking about when we get to BlizzCon and they've got to start competing against the Eastern teams. Like, yeah. nobody's looking like they have a super great chance outside of Dignitas. Stepping into this weekend, I would have put Team Liquid at higher points than they would than they actually turned out to be. I thought they were a stronger team than they showed. Um, and Method is still finding their footing, but they have the ingredients for an incredibly good team. If they can get their they they can get their 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 legs under them, their communication worked out. 
they're they're contenders like their their tank bad benny is one of the best in in the world and watching him work alongside of like adrd who they call him the mad scientist for a reason he can play characters in a way that people just don't understand um interestingly enough i didn't put this in the notes but um medivh is one of those characters that that adrd plays so well that he was banned almost he was one of the most banned characters in the entire tournament medivh which is crazy because outside of that you don't see medivh played hardly at all because the skill ceiling is so high he's such a high skill play like you have to be amazing to play medivh well and the fact that they were putting bans onto that character repeatedly just shows you how scared they were of it yeah, I think there was somewhere upwards of like 30 some odd bands on on Medivh, if I remember correctly. It was incredibly different. And, and ADRD, he was the, the target of a lot of bands when you played. So you, you know that there's there's like these major stars that's, that are in these teams that as long as the team cohesion works itself out, it could be pretty darn amazing. So I, I will say that we will probably see... In coming into BlizzCon, it's going to be Method really kind of stepping in. We still have to figure out what the hell's going on with Fnatic because we don't know. Um, Fnatic used to be number one, like hands down number one, and they've just kind of lost it. So maybe maybe they'll figure out their mojo and come back around. But um, Dignitas, the, the brass ring is BlizzCon. Those guys have not won anything like BlizzCon, and they want it. They want it bad. They want to beat it. They want to beat the Koreans. They want it. They want it done. So, how good of a chance do they have? Like we we've got obviously the Eastern Clash coming up this weekend, so we're going to get a nice good look at all the Eastern teams. But like Dignitas, obviously the best hope out of the West. Like how good of a chance do they actually have based on what we know at this point? I feel like this is a question every year, right? It well, yeah. it, it's always like which, it we have a flavored team that is going to go and yeah. they're going to be the hope for the West, and then they get yeah. stomped. But like. And to your point, we are inching closer and closer. Do we? Does Dignitas have a shot? Does anybody else have a shot? Dignitas definitely has a shot. The mid-season brawl, they took it to seven games against Genji, who wound up winning it. But it was seven games, of, of and it was so close. And I was screaming for, for Dignitas to win because I really do want to see them do well. Like, if they're going to be this dominant, I want to see them win. And they were this close. And the mid-season brawl is bringing all the regions together. So it's the mini BlizzCon. They were that close. I do think they have what it takes. It's just a matter of if they can figure out the formula of Korea's plans. Because you, you like, they're going to be studying everything happening with the Eastern Clash this weekend. Like, they're going to be studying it. Yep. Because there's just, like, there's no way that I can say that the Dignitas can't have a chance at it. Seeing what I saw this weekend, they didn't drop a single map. No, they're head, they are heads and shoulders better than every single team in the West right now. Yeah, they are. And so, and they just keep getting better. Um, they got to figure the out article- that tournament meta, though, right? Like, I mean, that's the big challenge when you start bashing these teams from different regions together. Like, it's one thing to sit there and try to sort out the Korean meta, but the meta that happens at these tournaments, we saw a lot of this at, at the Western Clash. Like, the meta is just different mm-hmm. when you start to bring regions together. And the one thing Dignitas showed, at least in the Western Clash, is their ability, far better than any other team, to adapt to that changing meta that happens in these tournaments. And that, to me, seems to be the biggest key for them to have success at BlizzCon. Absolutely. And the thing that they'll have at least somewhat of an advantage is that the um, the, the group stages of BlizzCon begin the week prior 
to the competition. So that meta starts to shape a week and a half prior to when they start actually playing for the crown. So you're going to see it. They have, they've got to go through all the group stages, which is like four days of competition. And then they move over to BlizzCon. And the same thing with the midseason brawl, the, the, the tournament meta forms itself because the, the, you know, the patch is locked in. They're not going to change it. So it's going to be, in a, it's a really, I don't know. I know I'm a super geek about HGC and I know that a lot of people aren't, <laughs> but it's fascinating to me to watch a tournament meta co- to come together and to see like this particular tournament meta. I was sitting there going, what is going on? Diablo was the number one tank in, in the, the entire, and where the hell Garrosh went, I don't know because Garrosh has been like the one that's been either picked or banned in every other like match going on for the rest of like, the, the phase and then all of a sudden everyone's like Diablo is the new hotness and so is Urel and I'm like and I, I'm, I'm just kind of sitting there going where, where does this come from how does this happen but there's small tweaks along the way that happen with the patches as you go through and then all of a sudden they all come up with these ideas and then you end up with a last pick Gaslow and everything is complete. and then you, <laughs> we definitely got a last pick Gaslow which was a nightmare um but uh, it was the, the it was kind of teased by leftovers as one of their pocket strats that they held out just for for kicks and giggles. Um, it was fun. I, I I had a really fun time watching this weekend. Um, I'm happy for Dignitas and I'm super happy for leftovers. I'm so happy to see what they're gonna do going forward if they can maintain that level of success. So it was it was great. I'm super excited for, and I'm gonna watch the Eastern Clash too, even though it's gonna be stupid. Like early in the morning, I'll I'll watch the vods and stuff. Yes. So coming up, starting on the 17th through the 19th is the Eastern Clash. Um, Pacific. Actually, the times aren't bad. So um, on Thursday they start at 6 p.m. Pacific. So it's not the worst. Uh, SPT faces off against Team Blossom. You have CE versus Tempest, BDG versus Gen G, and the One versus Ballistics. Those will all take place on Thursday, and then those, just as it did this past weekend, we'll carry out through the weekend, and we'll get a better idea of both what those teams look like and give us at least some comparison points for what we can look forward to going into the end of the season. But we have a whole another phase of the season to get through and as we've seen in previous years like this is no guarantee we're going to see the same set of teams by the time we get to the end of the season because things have been pretty drastic like you said we may see Fnatic come back to form we do have some wild cards in there with teams like leftovers um team freedom a lot of teams punching above their weight and a lot of teams punching below their weight so it'll be interesting to see if they all get it sorted out by the end of the season yep i'm excited there's gonna be there's gonna be some fireworks going on between now and blizzcon and i'm so darn excited for blizzcon i'm gonna be parked in that seat watching the entire time so we've got one with your name on it there's like an extra cushion and like a beer koozie next to it and like it's gonna be it's gonna be great you guys better be prepared because you're gonna get a whole lot of hdc coverage on this show after (laughs) it happens at blizzcon i've already told brian and seven we're putting it in. Well, clearly be Seven's been studying. He said at least six more words than he normally says during an HGC segment. So, like, he's been- <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm the most I actually watch HGC is at BlizzCon. I mean, I actually watched a lot of it last year as well. It's so much fun. I mean, just watching that kind of game uh, live is just way different than watching it on Twitch. Yes. I mean, yeah. by far, the energy is as amazing. So. Very true. Well, as you mentioned, Jules, you've uh, you've got an interview coming up. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your new Heroes show? Yes. So I am working on a brand new Heroes project called Heroes News with Jules Scott in col- in collaboration with HeroesHearth.com, who also owns Heroes Hearth Esports. Um, 
It's a non-biased show, I promise you. But you're not <laughs> selling cover... me very hard on that, right? 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 But I do. Uh, I do cover all aspects of Heroes of the Storm, HGC, and the Open Division. Um, and for this coming episode, which will be published on Thursday morning, I'll be interviewing Crowen from Heroes Hearth Esports to talk to him about the Western Clash and his um, his expectations and how he stays positive in the face of defeat. So um, you got, got some I... hard lessons in that this week. Yeah, you know, they I I'm actually, you know, I'm a huge fangirl for Heroes Hearth. I think that they've they've proven themselves to be head and shoulders above other teams in terms of their attitude and approach to things. Um one of the things that I saw McIntyre, one of their players, their their flex offlaner say when they lost is we we win as a team and we lose as a team. And it's this, you know, yeah, that's trite to say, like, everybody can say that, but all five of the players will literally say that to you anytime you talk to them, because they truly do feel like they're one cohesive unit. It's a pretty cool thing to see, especially in the world of esports, where it's always about me, me, me. So I usually blame seven when we lose. So, yeah, (laughs) well, it's usually his fault. Yeah, I mean, that is that is a fair assessment. Well, Jules, thank you as always for coming on and dropping a ton of HGC knowledge on us. Uh, we would not be able to do it without you. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, talk about how Discord is going to make some money and Hi-Rez doing a bunch of crazy accounting stuff that makes no sense to me, but we'll talk about it as soon as we get back. <laughs> And we're back, and it's time to talk a little esports business as we are wont to do. And we're going to start with our friends over at Discord that, despite them not being very good for podcasting, have figured out other ways to make money, uh, which <laughs> is to do what everybody else is doing to try to make money in this space at this point, which is sell games. So this is not a huge surprise, I don't think, to us. I mean, we've seen Twitch very much leaning into this model. Everybody wants to be the next Steam, and Discord seems to be going that same direction by introducing the ability to purchase games through the platform. Yeah, and I think there's also talks about them possibly doing it with like Discord partners in the future, or they maybe get a piece. I mean, I, that model's not really anything new and improved over anybody else. Uh, the irony of all of it is is that they've they've got to this space almost faster than Twitch has. I mean, yeah, it took Twitch, Twitch a lot longer. If you look at like the, the age of the yeah. company. Right. And I know that Twitch is building stuff. I know that at Amazon, there's an entire group dedicated to the actual Twitch store, but it's almost like they're dragging their feet or they're trying to integrate it with Amazon as a whole, which is more than likely. And that is what's taken them so long. Um, and so the fact that discord just like, yeah, we're just going to start selling games. I, I mean, I applaud that versus we versus the ad model. Um, and we know that they had like the freemium kind of model before where you know yeah, you pay, I guess you say. Thing. Yeah, and we, we knew that that wasn't going to be enough to sustain no, because that user growth. They were largely selling it as like, hey, if you like Discord, help us out. Like There were some yeah, things or, you got, but if you read yeah. the marketing for it, it was largely just like, hey, slip us a couple bucks. Yeah, it was almost like, we got a PayPal running. Like, just throw it up. Follow us uh, on Patreon. Was, like, yeah, and it was a lot of things like you know emotes and whatever. And that just that model never never works, right? And uh, so it's good that they're going this route. I think um, I think Valve in the next three years is going to take a hard hit with uh, to Steam. And I know that maybe a lot of people have thought 
Steam is on its way out or it's going to have somebody compete against it at some point in time. It can't just you know hang on to being the main platform. And I know there are others out there like Desura and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like even a lot of these companies are doing their own stuff like Origins and whatever. But it's still just been the big big behemoth that it's, you know. It's, it's in so ingrained industry. in the market. It's like Twitch, right? Like in what Steam does, it's just so ingrained in the market. It's kind of hard to out them. What I think is yeah. going to be interesting on the Discord side is absent of the fact that Twitch is clearly taking way too freaking long to get their store together. Twitch has one advantage that Discord does not have, which is they do have this ability. They have all these personalities that can sell these games for them because people will buy the games because they support the Twitch streamer. And Discord partnership does not carry that same weight that a Twitch partnership does. Like, I know people are Discord partners, and I think it largely means you get, like, a T-shirt and you get Nitro for free. Like, it's not, like, there's not a whole lot of advantage of it, so there's not necessarily the same, like willingness to go like if you were a discord partner are people going to buy the game from you versus like somebody who's a twitch partner like that's they don't necessarily have that built in right it's not saying it's a bad move like it's, it's a hell of a lot better like you said than selling ads but they do have an uphill battle once twitch gets their shit together and actually gets the store out there we're i mean you already have the ability to sell some stuff as a twitch partner it's just going to get easier and easier as it gets more and more steam like yeah, and I think also, you know, Twitch does have Amazon behind it and it has the ability to work these huge deals because they are working very much on scale. And I think there's no question around whether or not Twitch could sell games very, very well. They've been doing stuff with the, the Prime, uh, like the loot drops and the, yeah, you can just go claim your offers and the random things you get. And it does really, really well. And I think we even talked about this at the very, very beginning of the show where like Twitch is going to move that way and they still haven't. Fully, um, and I, I don't 100% know it's. I, it's got to be Amazon integration. They're probably trying to do. Yeah. I, having worked in Amazon, it's got to be what it is. And so, yeah, I, I, it's it's good. I, I think it's a smart move by Discord. They're a highly valued, uh, evaluated company. Like they, yeah, they're you know, they're a darling of Silicon Valley. They have yeah. 150 million users. Like they're they're a good company. Um, I, I wish them all the luck in the world with this. I I. I question like if it's going to monetize to the level that they need it to based on the number of users that they have. But like you said, uh, of all the available business models, it certainly is probably the one that's going to work best for them. They're not, yeah. they're not enterprise-y like Slack is. So they're not going to get it from enterprise software. Ads would be horrible. The freemium model always fails, especially when you have nothing to offer in this case mm-hmm. as far as like, you know, yay, better voice quality. Yeah, but I'm just like yakking with my friends in game anyway, so I don't really give a crap like right. how high the quality is. There's as long enough- as they're not selling steam keys <laughs> then they're just, yeah, that's just gonna screw them over in the end please don't do but, that. Yeah. that that never goes well so <laughs> we'll see how that goes but you know now we know how they're gonna attempt to make money so uh check back in in like a year and see if we were right or wrong <laughs> about how well because we are also selling games that's how we plan on uh sticking around long enough to figure out how they do we are I'm oh okay it today sure I have, I, co- I have this copy of World of Warcraft and an AOL 6.0 CD. That's where we're starting. Uh, I got a Juno one. <laughs> Startup Sorry. capital. There you oh, go. man. Speaking of starting things up, Hi-Rez Studios announced today that they are starting up three new game development studios. They are essentially splitting into three studios to support their three main franchises. So that is Paladins, Smite, and Realm Royale. Uh, they're calling the Smite One Evil Mojo Games, 
Um, or I'm sorry, no, Titan Forge games, Evil Mojo games is Paladins, and Heroic Leap games will be Realm Royale. This is in addition to Skillshot Media, which is the company they spun off a few months ago to handle their like esports production needs and, and apparently offer them to third parties yet, I think, based on our investigation, has yet to actually happen for a third party. But this is an interesting move for a variety of reasons. I think the first thing worth talking about is what you and I immediately noticed, which is they think Realm Royale, which is a very, very early game and was part of Paladins until very recently, is right. they believe big enough to start an entire studio to get behind that. Well, it also shows you, shows you where their priorities lie, right? We've seen them kind of bring games up before and dump them. Uh, Hand of Hand of the Gods is one where, like right now, I'm not really sure if it's completely on life support or not or what's going on with it. They supposedly went... You know, they went. It came out in February, like, and then did legit. Not, literally nothing's happened since the game. Yeah, out. they yeah they claimed like the full launches in February, and then they went dark in April. Like, and then now all of a sudden they popped up like, yeah, we're doing it some at PAX West. But it shows you that like that's not going to spin off into its own studio, and so it's just going to fall in as some maybe secondary or tertiary thing under under Smite. Who knows? Yep. Um, and so again, but this is just it, it's a. There's multiple things you could read into this. Is this just from an accounting standpoint? Does this allow them? Uh, they claim it's to allow them to be siloed and move faster without having to work with the other people. I don't think that was a problem to begin with, really. Now they're, they're probably like, "Oh yeah, it totally was," but it's there's no reason why you can't just say this is a division and they run separate of everybody else, right? You don't need to. And you don't, thing, don't need probably- three studios to do this. <laughs> yeah, you actually you technically may work better in some areas, like say esports administration because they work across all three divisions now they're their own company so technically it gets worse if you're separating them because you don't have like a shared services model right they're now they're now consulting on behalf of all three of your different studios right right it also makes it hard to move resources around as games get popular or less popular like part of the reason why i mean say what you will about high-res spinning up games and killing them very quickly um, but they do spin up games very quickly HRX every year there's some new game whether it sees the light of day or not you know mm-hmm. there was the Clash Royale clone that they did for Smite there's the bots game that they launched um, at High Res Expo this past year and it does seem like you're limiting yourself to a certain degree if you can no longer pluck and now they're saying they're doing it to keep from doing that but that's just discipline I don't know that you necessarily need three different companies right. to prevent that from happening get some people yeah. sitting idle and, and you do have games that sit on the fringe like hand of the gods uh paladin strike which is in active development that it does get updated pretty frequently is a mobile game essentially like a, a pared down mobile version of paladins that now like i'm assuming is going to go into the paladin studio but what will resourcing look like for that so it's a it's an interesting move but you'd also mentioned that another reason why this could be is to make these individual games more tangible acquisition targets for like a tencent or somebody that wants yeah. to come in and only cares about a specific game yeah, and that's what I was talking about earlier. Is like you know, you look at uh, Tencent's buying up a lot of mobile properties, right? So Paladin Strike might be a good, uh, you know, target for that. Uh, it does allow them to kind of shift, maybe even sell partial partial ownership of a an individual game or title, or take a uh, backing for it to expand if that's the case. And so it works a lot like how PUBG Corp has been working with yep. Blue Hole, and that you know, it's almost as if Hi-Rez is playing the publisher now more so than the actual studio development, and that's. Maybe what they're wanting to do, maybe they want to shop things around a little bit. Um, it does hinder, like you said, it does hinder the ability to switch people. Technically, it should uh, if they run like true studios, but it would hinder like being able to float resources back and forth. I mean, you look yeah. at what Epic did uh, when they got rid of their MOBA. What was it called? Paragon. When Paragon. they got rid of Paragon. 
and they just said, hey, Fortnite's blowing up. We are just shifting everybody to Fortnite. And then uh, what do you do if you want to spin up a new yeah. franchise? Like, where does that, where do those resources come from? Because they, yeah. Hi-Rez is known for like, they, they, you know, say what you will about the quality of the games, they pump shit out. And so now if I want to, you know, I've got this idea, the bots franchise, for example, right? Like, are there still developers that sit underneath the Hi-Rez publisher banner that they then do? Do they have to spin up another studio for those? Like, I, I worry, I mean, only based on what I see on paper, and we've had some fairly decent um, long-term interactions with Hi-Rez as a company since we started the show, and th- this just seems to be antithetical to their approach to development up to this point. I think that's why it is so surprising to me. Yeah, and you could see, I mean, I have a feeling this is a uh, precursor to something we'll find out at HRX, right? Yep. And it could be that maybe one of the studios itself is being picked up um you've seen like e3 we saw like uh microsoft or xbox bring in something like what six or eight studios um under the under their wing like they they had a ton of acquisitions and that could be the case i mean maybe this is what they're working towards um maybe you'll find paladins will get picked up by a specific studio or maybe who knows (laughs) it's just this is this screams something more than oh we just want to be more efficient that's you don't make a, a public change of breaking everybody into studios and saying we want to be more efficient. There's something else. Yeah, it's super weird. Like the, I think the the Realm Royale one is still the one that sticks out to me the most. It's just odd. Like I'm looking right now, and there's a thousand people viewing Realm Royale compared to 140 thousand people viewing Fortnite. And I get it's night and day, but like you're making a pretty bold statement by spinning off an entire studio for a game that like. Yeah has 0.5 percent of the market <laughs> yeah yeah it's like yeah. i mean almost every i mean every realm you know Roy, battle royale game is doing better than it right now so it's and again twitch is not the only thing but it's a pretty good indicator that number should be significantly higher if you're going to spin an entire studio off to deal with it so i don't know there, there i i completely agree with you though there is something else happening here like mm-hmm. yay press release crap but i don't believe any of it like there's some accounting thing, there's some acquisition thing in play. There's something that we're going to find out later in the year. I believe High Res Expo, which is coming up in November this year, um, could be a potential place where we'll hear more about that. But it'll be a very interesting HRX this year because I don't know that they're going to be able to do what they normally do as far as announcements and and all the new stuff that's going on. And and it's also weird yeah. this year because they're doing it in tandem with DreamHack as opposed to doing right. their own standalone HRX. There's a lot of things clearly going on change wise with High Res, and I, I I don't know where it's all like what the end game is. No, I mean the Skillshot one made a uh, a bit of a bit of sense to me initially. Like, okay, they've got uh, the you know in Atlanta, Atlanta's growing esports scene wise uh, quite a bit. Uh, they have experience running these events. There's not a ton of production companies in Atlanta uh, that have that ability. So it doesn't surprise me if they're maybe um, largely involved in throwing of, of DreamHack, even though DreamHack is technically owned by somebody else. Um, it, it's just it, that one made sense, right? You could say, hey, we're a service company. So you're spinning off something you do normally and you have a talent for, you have the depth and the, and the uh, I don't know, the, the knowledge or the crew to do it. Um, it's almost like say, saying we're, we're freelancing now and that's, there's a ton of money in that. There's an absolute ton of money in it yep. and uh, that makes sense. But the studio thing is, yeah, it, thing again, is reeks of something else. Yes. <laughs> and I imagine uh, come November, we will we'll know what that is and we'll go, aha, that's why they were doing it. Moving on to some tournament news. IEM 
the IEM Extreme or Intel Extreme Masters Tournament, which is primarily taking place in North America in Oakland, um, has found a new home through 2020 in Chicago. Uh, it'll be kicking off the Wind Trust Arena for 2018, and then in 2019 and 2020, moving to the United Center. Um, it'll be taking place this year in November. It has already sold out fastest than IEM has apparently ever sold out, which is kind of crazy. Um, I personally am happy to see more esports coming to the Midwest. Like, I think that is the biggest thing for me. You and I, obviously, we're a little biased as we both have made our way back to uh, the Midwest. But it's largely been ignored by esports, despite being the seed of where esports started. Like, MLG has been based in Columbus, Ohio, since it's, you know, practically its inception. Um, mm-hmm. And we've seen Overwatch League basically ignore the Midwest, largely. You know, we'll talk about that in a minute. But the expansions don't look like they're going to come anywhere towards the Midwest. So I'm super stoked to see an event taking place in the Midwest and that it is proving that there is popularity for esports in the Midwest by IEM selling out so quickly. Yeah, and I'm not sure if the the, the, the quickly thing, I'm not 100% uh, sure if that could that could happen because the venue is smaller i don't know it it is but the fact that it's still sold out super fast is amazing because chicago eats that kind of stuff up i mean you look at uh just for instance uh like from a soccer match standpoint right when they do like the what's it called like the international championship thing here in the united states they bring over some european teams like the big stop for them is like Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's like 110,000 people go and watch it. Right. And like, say what you want to say about like Seattle and their 60,000 person stadium that gets packed. Well, it's almost doubled when they go to Michigan. And so, but you know that like these areas are are hungry for you. You look at when packs expanded to Boston, people are like Boston, why Boston? Well, nothing was happening on the East coast. And now Boston is, I believe the largest PAX event now. And yep. and again, trouncing Seattle. I don't know why he keeps going back to Seattle, but Damn it, um, Seattle. But anyways, I, I think this is it's an incredibly smart move. Chicago uh definitely has all the stuff there to, to to do it and support it. Um it's a major, major metropolitan city. Uh they've got public transit. Like it just it it's a huge it just seems a airport, duh, which is like a huge hub. Like it's just yeah, I, the the fact that Chicago hasn't become a bigger player in esports already, and that LA, the fact that I feel like Atlanta has over Chicago is just super weird to me when you really think about it. I know when you look but, at the demographics yeah. of the market and you look at like what's available there and the ease of of ingress and egress into the city, yeah. and it just kind of blows my mind. And this is nothing against Atlanta, but like I just feel like the fact that we skipped over Chicago. In favor of other markets for like Overwatch League is a perfect example of like it's a little bit of a head scratcher. We got two teams in LA, but nobody in Chicago yet. And it's, I feel like it's an untapped market for esports. Um, I'm going to be interested to see if these Call of Duty rumors that we've reported on over the past couple of months of that spinning up a pro league, what those cities look like. And if it does end up, you know, being what we have a hunch in, that it may actually be based in Columbus initially in the MLG studios. Like what that'll look like, but it's very interesting to me that this has been largely ignored. Yet yeah, and then one of, we have one investment of the funny, here. Yeah, and, and one of the funny things though is that uh, when it comes to uh, some video games, uh, um, uh, competitively, like esports wise, whatever, like I'm depending on the title, Chicago is a huge hub for servers, and there was actually a period of time when a, a lot of uh, team houses would go up near Chicago. Largely because they got higher ping rates there, yep. and so if you did online tournament stuff, like even some of the early like CS:GO stuff, you would you would put you try and live close to Chicago to get a faster ping than your opponents, and so yeah, like 
whatever servers are there let's let's go yeah but, it's just weird uh we'll see i mean obviously like cleveland has a finger in esports we've got 100 thieves um involved and obviously cavaliers are also involved in the nba 2k league uh, i don't know it's weird but I'm, I'm glad to see it like if i hope this is the seed of something to start moving things more to the center of the country esports wise or at least give us some representation but we will see moving on let's talk a little bit about riot so riot's been in the news in two very different but like intersecting ways so there was a report that came out earlier this week that said that riot's relationship with tencent had become strained over some decisions that riot had made stemming back to earlier days in the relationship in which the mobile movement was starting to become big and tencent saw the writing on the wall and they went to riot allegedly and said to Riot, hey, we'd really like you to make a mobile version of League of Legends. They did not. We ended up getting the game that eventually got released in the U.S. as Arena of Valor, which has actually done really well from a mobile standpoint. Obviously, we've talked about Vainglory on the show. Clearly, MOBA has been able to make a play on mobile that Riot largely missed. Um, This is also coming at a time where we're once again having that discussion we seem to have once a year, which is like, what when is riot going to put the s in riot games and it's become kind of a cliche at this point but we've gotten the strongest indicator sense that that is coming uh one of the founders been teasing obviously mmo is not going to be it but has been teasing the presence of an mmo there's been a lot of rumors swirling around about league of legends some sort of league of legends branded fighting game there were some rumors that that might make an appearance at evo which obviously did not um but then we also combine this with the news that ghost crawler you know of formerly of wow fame that has been the lead game designer for league of legends for years since leaving blizzard has now left that to take a larger role within the company which again indicates that there's more properties and it's not that look nobody's debating because it's fact that riot is working on other games they've probably been working on other games for 10 years the question is are we getting close to something that's actually going to see commercial release and we're starting to see that in my opinion the strongest indicators that that's actually going to happen sometime relatively soon i mean i think an article like this when it goes and says yeah things have been strained with tencent i i mean that's kind of a an obvious call right i mean if anything, probably put strain on that was losing the uh, MBLAM <laughs> monies. Yeah. Like that what are you whole... talking about? That's going so well. Yeah, yeah. Three hundred was it like three hundred million dollars? Just uh, poof, gone. Like what happened? Right. Well, um, it's because so... ESPN got it out of East. Oh no, wait, they didn't. They signed Overwatch. League. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So I think what's happened is is. You know, Tencent earlier in the week, uh, before this article even came out, it talked about how much they're going into mobile, right? And and how much they're they see like PUBG is really killing it in China when it comes to mobile. Uh, Fortnite, they've got investment in that they've got their hands in like a lot of things. Um, and the of course they're going to push heavy into markets where they you know they they can they're I don't know they're innovating in right. <laughs> You're not innovating on a game that's been in a market and has held the market largely for for 10 plus years yep. or 10 years. And so, I mean, yeah, you've got to make the push and you've got to, you got to favor the new kids, the rookies, right? You got to like, you got to get them out there and, and PUBG and Fortnite, as scary as it sounds, call like Fortnite a rookie, but they are. Um, look at their esports program. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, you know, it makes sense. This is just... This article, when, when people say this, it's like, well, no duh. Like, you, you could have written this five years ago. Of course, it's going to be somewhat strained in some way, shape, or form. Um, but Riot just doesn't have another cash cow. And Tencent maybe sees that uh, and, and is really just forcing them 
their hand at something. Ghost crawler moving makes sense. Uh, you know, who knows if the mobile was a place for him, but they've got to have some kind of creative direction, directional change, right? They've got to do something other than a MOBA or let's make a board game about the MOBA. They've got, and they've got to find a new IP. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting because they, you know, the, the formation of Riot Games was largely because those, the founders did not feel like other game companies were moving towards the opportunity that they saw fast enough. And they have, you know, they largely brought microtransactions to the forefront long before we even called them microtransactions. But they've kind of been bitten by that same bug now where they've just been either through paralysis of, of creativity or or just complacency because the game does so well. I mean, if you put in comparison, Blizzard, which has all the franchises and popular games that they've had, and you know, obviously WoW is what really brought them to the dance, but you know, they have a lot of revenue streams. Supports, you know, roughly speaking, five to six thousand employees. Riot on the back of one game, about four thousand employees. So, like, it's a pretty big feat. And League of Legends is a massive game, but you have to always be disrupting yourself. And you always have to be looking at the next thing. And we've yeah. already seen Blizzard do this, like bringing Hearthstone to mobile, like no brainer now, but like was a bit of a risk to begin with and has done well. And we know that <laughs> Blizzard's working on other mobile games based on job postings that they've listed, and maybe Riot is too. But the fact that they don't already have one when games like Fortnite and PUBG and Vainglory and Hearthstone are making so much money on mobile when those games are free is you know probably a big thing for Tencent. And when they invest in you, they got to make money long term. Now, Riot did have a response to this report saying, League numbers are down from their peak, but it's still one of the most played games in the world. And we're very happy with the numbers. And we think some of the new content we're putting out soon can only help with player numbers. Uh, basically, League is doing incredibly well by any measure except its own very high watermark. They also say the relationship with Tencent is the best it's ever been, which is what you always say. This is like the dreaded vote of confidence, right? <laughs> right like, yeah, yeah. we have all the confidence in the world that you are going to do great and you're going to get fired in two weeks. Uh, we talked to riders about it on a fair amount back in February, and while the Arena value, Valor situation wasn't great, we worked through it, and leadership's take that it made the partnership stronger. That's a load of BS. <laughs> like, no. How did you even like put this down with a straight face? Like, you know, you're pissed because they came into your market and they did better than you, and you should have had, you should have seen that opportunity, and you should have ran with it. Like, if a, if a yep. studio like a like a high res that we just got done talking about can spin up a game like Paladins in a few months. And get that out there and start making money. And like, I get that you feel like you're a stronger studio and you need more time to make a highly polished game. But for Christ's sake, it's been a decade. Let's get it, you know, like, come on. You, like, you need to get on it. So if I were Tencent, I'd be mad. Like, yeah. I'd feel like, yeah, you're making me money, but you're like, the chances of you falling behind the curve are greater already because you do not have a mobile offering. Yeah. I mean, and it's not, not unlike, uh, you know, companies to experiment right even trying to take things mobile like um uh, blizzard had a working version of world of warcraft running on the ipad 2 right like yep. what six years ago yeah um and but it maybe it's just it just doesn't happen right like you you get there and you're like this just isn't fun this doesn't work well this doesn't ex it doesn't expand well because one of the reasons why uh you have uh, Hearthstone on mobiles because it was built in Unity from the ground up, right? Yeah. So it's just easy to port things over. Uh, you know, it's not easy to port things over like League of Legends because it wasn't built during the era of, of just mobile gaming. So really. we buy Super Evil Megacorp. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm not joking. Yeah. Like that's what those studios out there are for. Like you you buy a SEMC yeah. that has an engine that is built to run on mobile, and you and you that's how you get into the market. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that Riot hasn't made any kind of acquisitions as such just to get uh, ahead of the curve a little bit yeah, or catch up. <laughs> yeah, or maybe they feel that they can do it themselves, or maybe they were just saying, "Hey, once we get that 300 million dollars, we're going to go and do it." Uh, but <laughs> it's I, I don't know. I, I don't know why. Uh, they're that far behind the curve. The fact that they're, you know, teasing what kind of game should we make next is bad because it's been ten years. Like, uh, it's like you're the one with the paycheck with the the all the zeros behind it. You should be telling us what game you're you're making. You should have something announced at this make, point. Right? Yeah. Yeah, if your CEO is doing straw polls on Twitter, like you've got a problem. Well, it's been what um, a year. I haven't, I couldn't find the date, but it has been what a year, maybe now since the founders decided to step back into a more day to day role that was also supposed to be aimed at solving this problem and figuring out the future of the studio and where it goes. So, yeah. like, all the indicators are there. I think people are getting impatient. Clearly, Tencent's getting impatient. Like, it, like you said, it doesn't take a crystal ball or an inside source at the IHOP to figure out like what's going on here. Like, it, it right. it's not good. You need to have something out there. And to be clear, like this rumored fighting game, I don't think is a solution. Like everything I've heard about this rumored fighting game is that it's another studio building it on top with the do- or with the uh, League of Legends IP on top of it, which is like okay, that's great. But I don't think that's the way to go. I don't know that the League of Legends characters are so strong that putting them in a fighting game is going to be like the be all end all Mm -hmm. of things like i think blizzard has taught us that it doesn't necessarily just because you have all these strong characters doesn't make a game like heroes of the storm the best moba out there so it's like it's certainly a thing but i do think like riot needs a new game and it needs to be mobile friendly and it better not be a freaking battle royale game (laughs) no please no i I think I think a fighting game. I think their characters are definitely strong enough, though. I mean, I think they they have uh, they definitely have some favorites, um, and, and that those characters would carry over. I don't know I how it would carry over from an actual fan- fighting game mechanic, but but there's that? a drag fandom there, is my question, right? Because the MOBA audience and the FGC audience very different, like. So are those True. characters strong enough to have the pull to make me... Because that was the bet Blizzard made, right? Blizzard said, you care about our characters enough that you're going to go start playing a MOBA even if you're an MMO player or you're an RTS player. So what you're saying to a certain degree is you want to... Ta- I mean, you use that IP because you're trying to tap into the League of Legends audience. Does enough right. people in League of Legends care about those characters enough to go play a League of Legends-themed fighting game? Well, I mean, if you look, like it's, it's something new. Right. And uh, look at what Blizzard has done with Overwatch. Right. Now, now, granted, Overwatch had strong. The thing is, Overwatch had strong characters. I think Overwatch probably would have been done solid if those types of characters had been in another, uh, uh, you know, if they had done the Heroes of the Storm model and they but they had like strong characters, I think it still would have worked. It's just about the mechanics and the gameplay and things worked out well. It's actually more. It's actually riskier to start off with a brand new IP and try and get people to like your characters versus some that already have some kind of canon behind them. I don't. I, I it was actually a, a surprising, if not bold, move to do Overwatch, but Blizzard understood that they had to create a new IP. You can't like you know you don't have Arthas run around freaking you know you know <laughs> throwing down. Uh, turrets and stuff like no no he's a guy who runs around with a, a, a sword you know it's like you just can't do the those those things don't translate over well yeah and so, so they had to do a new ip now fighting game however 
we've we've joked about Blizzard in the fighting game. Yes, like because people get work. really uncomfortable at Blizzard whenever we make the joke, which is why <laughs> yeah. we keep making the joke. Yeah, it, like it would work, and it, I would play it. Lots of people would play it. You, I mean, and it's proven I mean, you can make money. I mean, you can make money on a long-term fighting game franchise yeah. that has been proven. I, I think the, the reason why the rumors persist more so for Riot is because Riot did make an acquisition. I believe it was back in 2016. They bought Radiant Entertainment, which was working on Rising Thunder, which was a fighting game. And I want to be clear here. I don't know that Rising Thunder was going to like shake up the FGC. So that's why it was a weird acquisition. Um, if I personally, like, if I wanted to build the best fighting game out there... I would not buy an indie developer like this. I would go out and try to like work with Arc System Works or something of that nature. But that's what sparked right. these rumors that everyone's assumed. Like, why would you buy a studio that is focused on fighting games? You're not going to get a fighting game out there. Um, I don't know. It, it's it's all super weird. But I agree. Like, I, I do think there are some people that would definitely play a fighting game, a League of Legends right. fighting game. Is that what's going to like make Tencent happy? I, that I don't know. Yeah, and and but the thing is, is you can also um, you can also make more money off the the group that you already have, right? There's if you've already got a following and you've got one of the biggest followings in the world, not a problem to to go and drop something new in which they'll spend more money on. I mean, if Fortnite said, "Hey, we want to do a fighting game," and it's basically just the different skins fighting, they would still continue to make money hand over fist, and people would be like, "That was a brilliant idea." Um, I. Even though those skins technically have no canon behind them, they have no history behind them. They don't have 10 years of history behind them and stories and whatever it may be and odd fanfic. Like, they might have odd fanfic. Uh, it's, you know. What is it, Roll 47? Yeah, we all talk. <laughs> Just don't talk. <laughs> uh, anyways. But there but, is, uh, but yeah. you're right. And Riot has been putting in an extra effort over the last few years to build the lore up around League of Legends significantly. They've, re- they've retconned and rewrote yeah. or just created where there was none um, a lot of lore behind the game. Obviously, trying to increase the value of that property to move it to a different you know genres so it makes a lot of sense we'll see but like you said a it doesn't take a genius to predict the 10 cents upset like you could just yeah. write the story and claim you have a source and everybody would believe it even if you never talked to a source and b something is coming eventually um it may be too late i think the difference between riot and blizzard is blizzard is already diversified and yes league of legends is strong there's no signs that it's going to like crash anytime soon but i think if you're 10 cent you're not in it to make a quick buck you're in it to build like a very giant company that owns a lot of successful smaller companies that continue to generate revenue long term and they've shown in the past that they're willing to like cut bait and move on to other companies if they think they're going to be the ones that are going to provide them that and right now it's not hard to see why they would feel that way about riot correct Awesome. We're going to take a quick break. <laughs> uh, I, I like it when you make it easy on me. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about this ninja drama. We're also going to talk about how PUBG is uh, going to fix itself. And we're back, and we got to talk about the, the the ninja stuff. So I made a joke at the beginning of the show, but our friends that I and I have done nothing to hide my contempt for how Vox as an organization operates. But Polygon interviewed Ninja, 
one of the things they asked him about specifically was why he doesn't stream with women. And essentially what he said in this interview was that he doesn't stream with women because he believes that it brings a lot of drama and he's trying to protect him and his wife from that drama. There's a lot of clickbaity things that happen on Twitch and YouTube where people are like trying to create rumors of people sleeping with other people. and A lot of high school-esque drama happens in Twitch land and he's trying to protect his wife and his family from that those rumors therefore he chooses not to stream with any women therefore no opportunities for people to create those clickbaity rumor mongering youtube videos and the internet exploded <laughs> once polycon released this article hot takes all abound everybody's upset um he doubled down he eventually issued a statement and he doubled down basically just re-explaining the same thing over again and I am I am conflicted about how I feel about this. There there's the one side of the argument, and I'm sure no matter what I say, someone's gonna get angry with me, but there's one side of the argument that says, like, hey, you need to be bigger than this, you have a platform, you've taken stances in other areas, you know, you don't swear how he handled when he dropped the N bomb on his stream. Um then there's the other side of this is like, hey, let him run his business the way that he wants to. This is not a sexist move at its core. Like, yes, I get that it has it has implications for people who are female. A lot of people also pointed out, like, would you say this if, like, Nicki Minaj, for example, wanted to stream with you? You know, would you make an exception for that? There's a lot of things that go into play that I think are kind of missing the core issue. But the reality is, is what he's saying is not untrue. He is right. making an adult decision, whether you agree with it or not. And we are trying to hold something that is a problem far bigger than Ninja and trying to hold him accountable for not being willing to fix it. Right. That's it, like, okay. It's here's a, a great analogy of, of what I was thinking about earlier today uh, when trying to explain to someone is like, imagine this. Imagine going up to, I don't know, uh, Eli Manning, Drew Brees, whatever, and say, hey, you need to fix this whole thing about spousal abuse in the NFL. And you're like, it's like, wait, I. I'm just a quarterback. Like I just do my like. You, it's like holding one person who's maybe a, the face of something and uh, of gaming in general or a sport in general, and saying you need to be able to fix this thing, or the fact that you're dodging it by not doing it, not partaking in it, and then calling them out and saying, "Hey, you need to, uh, you, you need to be bigger than that. You need to stand up and do something about it." And it's not something that he necessarily has to do, and. I totally get the fact that he doesn't want to invite the drama. And because uh, even the funny thing is the, the one freaking time maybe in my life I'll ever say this, but I agree with how XQC actually explained it. Because I'll, I'll brace myself the, here. Yeah, right. I mean, he did it, of course, at like 90 miles per hour faster than a normal human would speak. But and, and then he dropped he some basically, racial slurs and got kicked yeah, off. Again. But he basically uh, just did it, it like, again, it's super fast, but it was explaining like, Here's exactly the the ninety different things that be said in Twitch chat the moment I like he would stream with uh, with uh, a female, and on top of that, now Jay Ghosty also his wife also streams and she would have to be dealing with it in her chat, right? And so this is someone who has been very open about their 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 his family ties, his prior how he's prioritized family. His relationship um, has been on social media essentially. Like they've only been yeah. married for a year. Like this is all out she, in the open. Yeah, she co-runs everything with him. Um, it, you know, it's it's not anything hidden. It's not like he's necessarily trying to protect her uh, completely. It's not like he says like she can't protect herself. He says, I just don't want to invite the drama in. We've got enough shit to deal with. And if you've ever been the target 
of anybody else essentially supplying the context for something you said or taking your stuff out of context and, and creating their own context around it, dumping it on the internet and letting everybody and their mother draw conclusions around it and then come at you with it. Yeah, it sucks. Is the worst fucking thing in the world. And you can take your most embarrassing moment, dial it up to about, in his case, a hundred thousand, and that's how many how bad you're dealing with it. And there's no reason to do that on a day-to-day basis if you don't have to. You don't just run into every burning house you see because, well, you know, I just I, I'm fast runner. <laughs> like you just don't I do it. This and I get it. Like I get where people are coming from. They're saying you have this amazing platform, Ninja. You now have to fix all of gaming and all of society's can't, problems can't. because you have this platform. And I know, like, look, you're listening to two white dudes tell this to you. I recognize the place of privilege that the two of us are coming from, and I know there are people out there that believe that he should use his platform to fix that problem. But I will point out something that kind of hit me as I was having this conversation with Jules about this earlier in the week. Months ago, Ninja dropped the N-bomb on stream. The outrage around that was like 10% of the outrage that people are having about this. Like when he was singing his rap song and he dropped the N-bomb and it wasn't in the lyrics, like he didn't get in trouble with Twitch, like a bunch of people leapt to his defense, it died off after a day, and we just kind of moved on. Like, I went back and read news coverage to try to get an idea of, like, the scope of what happened when he did that. He does this, it gets taken out of context, we prove his point in a lot of ways by what's happening. Today, TechCrunch, with this amazing headline, Gaming Star Ninja causes outrage by refusing to stream with women. That was the freaking headline. Mainstream media has now picked this up. Ripped all the context out of it and basically are proving his point for him, which is like we as a society can't handle these nuanced discussions. He can't have what is in it for Ninja to just bring. Look, he's the most popular streamer, period. Any game does not matter. He's it. He is a representative, like it or not, of gaming. There is no value in him bringing on random guy or woman streamer other than just to try to be nice. And so he's going to invite, he has you seven streamer with 10 followers on his stream. There's nothing he's going to gain from that, but he's also not going to invite a bunch of drama. He invites drama by bringing women on. I'm not saying that's okay. I'm not saying that's fair. I get you want somebody to fight that battle. He is choosing not to fight it. He's fighting a lot of other battles, and it sucks, I imagine, that if you are a woman, to not feel like he's chosen to pick this battle up. But I didn't see anybody running to die on swords when he dropped the N-bomb, and we need to have that conversation. Like, where were all the people that are getting upset about this when that happened? Like, everybody has the battles that they pick. He has chosen not to pick this one. He's picked many others. He got a crap ton of shit, and I guess it's different, but when he chose not to swear anymore, the dude dealt with a bunch of drama. Like, you just right. deal with drama at an unbelievable scale that most of us ever understand when you're a ninja and you choose to do this, and he's picking one that has real-life consequences for him. Like, you can sit here and say, oh, well, his wife loves him, and she's part of this world, and so she should know, and she should be resilient, and no, she shouldn't have to be. Like, I, as a very, very, very mediocre podcaster have seen this play out, even to myself, where this stuff happens. Just imagine that that at this scale, and it rips apart relationships. When you hear things a million times, when you go on YouTube and there's 50 videos about how Ninja likes ex-female streamer, that has a strain on your relationship. We do need to fix that problem. I 100% agree, but can we like skewer Ninja for just like 
Oh, I picked up 30 banners, but the 31st one was just one I didn't feel like carrying. Like, now let's get the guy. <laughs> well, on top of it, like that, uh, he mentions, like, that stuff has long-lasting implications, too, right? It's not like those YouTube videos go away at any given time. So they keep popping up and keep nagging at whatever it may be and, and or, you know, your whatever relationship you're in. And it may not even be this one. It could be if he gets divorced and gets another one. Like, it just – who knows? Um, and, and so – the the crazy thing here is a lot of it has to do around context in the original article in which that context is used. And the original article on Polygon set out to kind of make it a point like, oh, he won't play with women. Yep. There, there was and, clearly an agenda by that article, yeah. which does not surprise me because this is Vox. And, and I would love to know if there's an actual recording of this and how much of this is paraphrased and if he knew that this was the point of the article. More than likely not. Because I think at the beginning it says, in you know, in passing we had a conversation. It wasn't he directly sat down with for an interview because where's the rest of this actual interview? Yeah, this like you read the article, there's like out. two sentences of quote from him and the rest of it is just diatribe about how horrible this is. Right, right. And then... I, I know that you've mentioned, you mentioned in Discord, you mentioned on the show even already that, like, you know, he ends up going and re explaining himself, like doubling down on it. It's not that he's doubling down on it. It's, it's, you know, he said something, a context was made for him. And so, yes, you're going to clarify. And, and that's what he did. And he clarified and he clarified. And it wasn't until, like, maybe the like second time with this giant thing, he says, it's not even about me doing with any like streaming necessarily with a woman. It's the fact that there's all this online harassment and I'm choosing not to be harassed. Like that's it. Like I don't want my wife harassed. I don't want they coming into my stream. Don't want any of it. And so, and I, and that's fine. I, people who get harassed don't want to be harassed. Like that's the point of it. And I get like, if, if anything, real quick though, if anything, People should be yelling at fucking Bezos or whoever's running Twitch at this damn moment and saying, hey, why aren't you doing something about it? Because they own the platform. Yep. He's using it just like everybody else who's getting harassed. Why is that, Why aren't they bitching up the chain? Yeah, Again, like, why, aren't, why isn't Twitch doing more about female streamers getting harassed, right? right? Like, yes. why isn't Twitch... And, and a more positive view, why isn't Twitch doing something to promote l- lower streamers? Why is it on Ninja to make sure that he raises all the non-popular streamers? Like, and, Twitch, fix and, your discovery. Like, any, anybody who tries to use that angle is just ridiculous. Put in the damn work. He'd put in the damn work. Yeah. That's it. Like, and, he didn't piggyback necessarily on anybody else. I'm sure he did gain viewers or followers or whatever may, may be from other people and partnering with other people. I get it. That's part of the damn job. You don't just hop on one day and say, Hey, I'm now the top streamer on Twitch without doing shit. You have to know. And, and it doesn't come it. with a contract that says, now I must raise all people lower than me up. Yeah. And I get it. And it's sense. And I'm going to say something and I know I'm going to, I'm going to give this example and people are going to tell me it's not different, but I think it's an important thing to think about. If Ninja was gay and married, and said, I am not going to stream with male streamers because it's going to put a strain on my relationship. I'm only going to stream with female streamers. Would we be as upset? Well, okay. So there was a, there was a in the follow-up or third follow-up to that Polygon article, which also tells <laughs> me that this was all just for more views. Oh, yeah, they, because not only is there a follow-up on Polygon, but now The Verge has also picked up their own version of this. Yeah, and, well, and on top of it, the, the follow-up, from polygon the initial one was just here's how everybody's talking about the other article and like that's when you know you're just doing it for damn well clicks um but in one of it, it they they said it doesn't matter um it's it, i wish I, I had the quote in front of me uh, but the guy was um he's a game designer i think a board game designer but actually said something along the lines of uh 
it, it's about the fact that people can't look at two people uh, who technically could be in a relationship uh, and, and just give them any benefit of doubt that they can actually function without screwing each other around each other. Whether it's a, a you know a, a gay guy and a hetero guy, they can't be friends. A, a straight male straight woman can't be friends because everybody always wants to kind of throw in this other agenda that doesn't even exist. And so you're, you're right. It's, it's an example that was actually in one of the articles and I, and I totally agree with it. And I think it's just stupid that people just can't think that like a man and a woman or a guy and a guy or a girl and a girl can have, or yeah. whatever you want to identify as it can have relationships that are just, Hey, we want to play games. So I, it's just, it's such an annoying thing. Polygon, to, to, they have to do it. Has written four articles in three days, <laughs> garnering yeah. about one point three k comments. Of course, because it's, it's a hot topic. And I think the point we're trying to make, and I want to be clear, because I know people are going to get upset about the the you know flipping it onto the gay side. Because you're going to say, well, men have advantages on Twitch that women don't. I don't disagree with that. I do think that women have to deal with far more to become popular on Twitch as far as like the harassment is disproportionate that women have to go through on Twitch than men have to go through. I completely get that. The problem I have with this is somebody at Polygon decided to hang that narrative on a comment that Ninja made and have now we have now made him responsible for fixing this problem. We have asked him to make his life more difficult because somewhere apparently he signed a contract saying that he would solve all of Twitch's problems by just being a big deal on Twitch. And that's the part that I I do not think is fair if him and his wife have this agreement or decided this is how they want to run their business then this is how they want to run their business and had this he, random conversation not happened with some random yeah. person at polygon guess what he would have continued not to stream with women and no one would have made a big deal about it because like you said polygon chose to thrust this context onto this conversation and have now made it a bigger deal than it needed to be and made it about what it was mm-hmm. not about to begin with he yeah. chose not to to stream with women for a personal relationship reason, not because he's sexist, not because he's trying to hold women back. Yes, he's choosing not to solve that problem. But like you said, with your wonderful NFL example, there's a ton of problems in the NFL. Is Tom Brady responsible for fixing all of them because he has this voice? No, no. And and he actually stated that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't an agreement that he came to with his wife. No, it's his own it's decision. Yeah, it's his own decision. He's like, I don't even want her to have to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it either. I don't want my chat to have to deal with it. I don't want, like, I just don't want to deal with it. Spend some time. I'll tell you what. You yeah. you want to have a sobering moment. Spend some time oh, on no, his actually. wife's Instagram. No, I know you never want to be sober, but look <laughs> look look at his wife's Instagram account and look at the harassment she already gets. She she throws on a pair of Louis Vuitton shoes and she's a gold digger. Like people who don't even know that they've been together for like eight years, call her a gold digger. Even though, like, he was, like, a mediocre B-team stream, you know, B-tier streamer until the Fortnite stuff. Like, it's, this is what we do. And this is what we are currently doing. The most meta thing about this whole freaking conversation is that the thing that we say that he needs to deal with, we are causing him to deal with in a different way. He's getting harassed. He's getting a bunch of BS. A bunch of people are throwing crap his wife's direction because they're saying that she's secretly doing this and it must be her being jealous and all this shit just because somebody at Polygon wanted to push an agenda and a context out of the conversation. I don't disagree with any of the things that we're trying to solve. All the women that are upset, you have every right to be upset, but you don't be upset at Ninja. Be upset at Twitch. Be upset at society. Be upset at the the 
the gamer community that has chosen to act in this toxic way, you have every right to do so. I cannot hold one person accountable for solving society's problems, for solving Twitch's problems. It is absurd, and that is what you are asking him to do. And I think it's ridiculous. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. That's all, that's all I have to say on the matter. I'm just, I just makes me so angry. Moving on. Moving on to more drama. We might as well just get all the drama out of the way now. Let's talk about the FGC. So an article came out today uh, from Kevin Head over at VP Esports about some casters for an upcoming FGC event, the VS Fighting, which is taking place, um, or was, was taking place, I should say, um, in Birmingham back in July. And it was just a bunch of WhatsApp screenshots where a bunch of the talent was conspiring to make another talent look bad. The best that I can reason is, and from what I've seen from comments on both sides, is that they felt like this person was not justified in being the host of this because they did not have as deep a fighting game knowledge. They probably felt somebody else was more justified. And they were talking about ways they were going to make this person look bad. Now, there's a couple parts of this that I want to get to. And some of these are going to make people unhappy, but I want to talk about some of these pieces. One is, this legitimately is a load of shit. If you are doing this, fuck you and get the hell out of esports. Like, we have to raise ourselves up. We have to raise our people up. We, I'll tell you right now, this is a show that is incredibly challenging to do. Seven and I don't know everything we need to know about every esport that we have to cover because there are so many freaking esports, it is ridiculous. When you are a host, especially, when, you, when your talent is hosting events, do you think when a Richard Lewis or a Seltzer or a Susie Kim or whoever it is gets up there for every one of those games that they are the most, like talented person in that particular game no that is very common because it is a very different skill set as you know seven is having to do both having to do both duties for esports being a host is very different than being a caster and an analyst it is a different job you not only willing to be unprofessional and bring down a fellow talent but also potentially make the tournament and the tournament organizer and the event look bad for the sake of proving a point is unprofessional and ridiculous. It sickens me that somebody would do this. I could not imagine purposely trying to bring a tournament down just to prove that somebody was unskilled. I think if you look at the E-League FGC events that Richard Lewis hosted, is a perfect example. He is not an FGC stalwart by any stretch of the imagination. And I still think he did a great job because the host's job is very different than what the analyst's jobs are. They're supposed to know the game better than the host. The other thing I do think at play here, though, is we should not make this about the FGC. I like Richard Lewis. I've met the man a couple times in person. He obviously used to work for E-League. But I know he also has a axe to grind with the FGC. And he has, you know, he's obviously associated with VP Esports. He's done his, his due diligence in pushing this article out there. And it is making it, it is increasing this damn narrative in the FGC that keeps coming back, which is the FGC versus Esports. As they're different things. And Esports is ruining the FGC. This is not about that, in my opinion. This is not, oh, this only happens in the FGC. I'm sure if you did enough digging, this shit probably happens elsewhere in Esports. I'm saying oh, that no. this is horrible to begin with. Yeah. So another uh, perfect example of this is look at uh, TI7. Right. When you had day nine hosting it. Right. A lot of people didn't like the fact that day nine was was hosting it, including the casters. It was quite clear that the analysts didn't like that day nine was doing it. And ironically, oh, he's not back again this year. But 
there were definitely multiple times in someone who has casted, like again, like just in who was aspiring to be a caster at that point in time, uh, was, you know, I pay attention to the casters quite often more, you know, more than I do the actual gameplay in certain events, but it was obviously they weren't there to support him. And one of the jobs as an analyst, your role is to actually fill knowledge gaps, not point out the lack of knowledge gaps, not to exploit them to make yourself look better. And even at TI7, go back and just watch the interactions. He'll say something instead of just playing off like, well, that could be one way, but here's a better way. He's like, no, I would never do that. That's dumb. And like, it's basically what they were doing and saying. And like, wait a minute. And so maybe part of that lies on, on Day 9 for maybe not you know, trying to maybe show a little bit that he knows a lot more than, than he did or because uh, he was actually doing a lot of training. But a lot of people were upset that he was in that role. Um, and that's what happened here. This is somebody who is coming from, uh, I believe, CSGO, and they're wanting him to hop in there um, and uh, as, as a host role. And the analysts were just like, we're going to dig on him. We're going to see what he knows, what he doesn't know. They were even pre-setting up stuff so that they could like bring it up uh, yeah, they were like, "Oh, stage. I hope somebody plays Ryu, so we can ask a bunch of questions that will like that we know he doesn't know the answers to." Like, right? And so they were they were essentially setting up before they even they even happened. So it was quite clear what, like what their motive was, and that's just a bunch of shit. Because you know, even as I think I, I even piggybacked off something like Kevin Hitt had mentioned when he was kind of po- posting it out there. He was like, you know, as a caster, um, you, I've definitely I, I've, I've worked with people before um, that. Uh, I feel like maybe didn't put the effort in, but I went ahead and was professional and put more the, I, I filled the knowledge gaps for him. I give him Excel sheets. I'll give him rundowns. I'll give him questions. I'll give him deck lists, whatever it takes, selective, tasteful, artful nudes, whatever it takes to get them <laughs> through the cast and make it a good cast. That's the point. Because in the end, I can be everybody. the best caster, being the best caster on a shitty event still does not help you get anywhere. Nope. You're but not doing anything, the- but like, like I, I hate to tell you this, but like for, uh, and I'm going to be, I'm going to talk down a little bit for a lot of you folks that have not had real jobs and you just work at esports. <laughs> like this is not how this goes. Like you need to be the bigger person. It will be very clear to tournament or tournament organizers where right. the work was put in. What will also be very clear to them is if that sucks, everybody takes the blame. They are not going to be like, oh, well, that would have gone good if we hadn't hired this Banks guy. So, you know, like, hey, you know, everybody else, you'll all be the host next time. I get it. You want the host to have some knowledge of it. The reality is, is the host job is very different. You need to bring the whole cast up. The the profile of the tournament and the quality of the tournament will get you much further ahead in your esports career than tanking some guy you're upset is on the stream. Yeah. And, And on top of it, again... Crew, other cast members, uh, tournament organizers—they'll see it. They'll—they'll they'll know what happens, and it'll—it'll it'll get out there. And um, you'll be the one who's invited back the next time. It's just—it's so dumb that they would take this opportunity and, and and try and do that. I I don't see any reason to do that. It just doesn't make any sense. No, and, because everybody look like you don't look. No one's yeah. like, oh man, that guy knows so much more than the other guy. No, you're like, man, yeah. this cast sucks. Like yeah, nothing just, annoys me more than when there's bickering going on between casters or caster and the host or like it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, it, and it's just, it's bad. Be, being the, being the best person on a sinking ship doesn't matter if it's on a sinking ship. Like yeah, I'm the best fisherman here. Well, Ooh, you know what? I'm We're all going down. <laughs> it's dumb. It just doesn't matter. That being yeah. said, I do want to talk about this other point real quick because I, I, one thing that saddens me about the framing of this 
and I get the FGC has oh, not been kind yeah. <laughs> to some of these folks. This is not an FGC problem. This is this no, happened not. in the FGC. I get it. This does not make them blameless. I'm not trying to say that the FGC is without reproach. I'm obviously like very biased when it comes to the FGC. But let's not frame this for what it's not. Like this no. is an esports problem. These are some people that quite frankly I would never hire. Like these people, sorry, done. And you can you can reach out to me on Twitter and you yeah. can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> you should not be hired. Like no. this this is unprofessional behavior. Right. And you are and being paid is- to do a job. And the thing is, this isn't, again, this isn't an FGC thing. It's happened in all kinds of events. I, like I said, uh, TI7, perfect yep. example. That's a huge, high-profile event, and they did it there. And yep. I think all the people who did it and how they handled it, uh, there's some ones specifically, I like, they're shit casters. I don't, I don't even listen to their opinion now as an analyst because I don't care. You, you're just a spoiled little brat when you do that kind of stuff. And I also want to point out that... Yeah. Some of my favorite personalities go cross-game. Right, Golden Boy, there's no way Golden Boy has the depth of knowledge on all the games that he hosts that Machine these casters is another do. one. Sorry, I weirdly whistled on that one, but Machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it still happens. Malik Forte. Like, you know, mm-hmm. again, bias. Malik's a friend of ours. But, like, Malik is not the best Overwatch caster, the best FGC caster, etc., but he does a great job. It's a different skill set. It is. Totally. A good host doesn't necessarily need to know about every th- detail. They are good at driving the conversation, which, quite frankly, casters usually are not. Casters often just like go into the weeds, and it's their job to pull them out of the weeds and make transitions. The entire, o- I mean, the majority, I don't say the entire, the majority of the Overwatch League casting team came from other games. Yeah. They figured totally. it out. Like, I don't think Puckett probably knows everything he needs to know about the Overwatch League, but he still drives the broadcast. Right, and it it just saddens me that this is happening. It also saddens me that we're about to make it another esports versus FGC thing again because this is about professionalism. That's FGC versus FGC is really what that is. That has nothing to do with no. And I saw the comments, like I saw some people on Twitter say things like, "Oh, well, heaven forbid that we want somebody that knows things before hosting an event." Look, this is what (laughs) you got to deal with this because I would rather have a good host that knows less about the game than someone who knows a crap ton about the game but can't drive a broadcast. Right. I mean, a good host uh, is plays to their analyst's strengths, right? And largely, they're the host because the analyst lacks the host ability is really what happens. And, um, you know, even in Hearthstone, I've played both roles. I, you know, if I'm sitting next to a pro player, I'm generally a better host for what I've done so far. Um than I am an analyst because those guys play hundreds of more games than I do. And I totally respect their opinion and I can, I can play either role, but honestly, like I would much rather listen to what they have to say than what I have to say in terms of from an analyst standpoint. But, uh, but I can easily see after many years of, of, of podcasting and drinking that I know how to like entertain. <laughs> so yes. it's just different. Uh, especially when we do like show note night. Um, anyways. Um, but again, it's, it, it, they're different skill sets, different roles, right? You don't want your bus driver also doing the maintenance on the car. Let the freaking mechanic do the mechanic part yeah. of it and let the bus driver do the driving part of it. That's all. That's exactly what it is here. Yep. And, and the only reason why it's getting thrown into being FGC being dicks again is because, well, I mean, 
lately Richard and, and more than that just lately, but it's definitely amped up. But Richard's had some fighting with the FGC. I mean, ever since the FGC recent. and E-League, E-League started doing FGC content, the FGC has not been kind to Richard. I completely get that. He wasn't big friends with them beforehand, but no. yeah. He, he, he has a lot of enemies. <laughs> but that being yeah. said, I don't want to see that make this about the FGC versus right. esports again because I'm so tired of that narrative. Like, you can have great casters that know a shit ton about your fighting game and still have a host that drives a broadcast. That does not diminish the FGC. It does not take away its identity. It's what is needed to drive a good broadcast. And if you can't see it, then you haven't been watching sports for the last hundred years because that's how this works. So well, both sides need to get over it. And the people involved, like, they need a timeout. I wouldn't hire any of those people for a while. Like, I think that's BS. And I would never want to work with one of those people again. <laughs> it's just complete BS. Like They get thrown in the corner. Yeah, you're in the corner. <laughs> No one puts the FGC in the corner. We just put the FGC in the corner. Moving on, we got some more stuff we got to get to before the show wraps up. Uh, let's talk about Overwatch League real quick. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but uh, Toronto getting the next, next OWL expansion slot. Uh, looks like this is going to, I mean, the organization this is going to be tied to, even though they're not a majority investor, is going to be Splice. Um, so this is Canada getting their first Overwatch League team. This is rumored to be the only other North American slot coming for Season 2, in addition to the one that we saw uh, be given to an Atlanta. That means there's three slots left open. One of those ESPN is already reporting is going to go to Paris. Um, we already have the new Chinese city as well, Gongzhou, which means we have two more to come. We'll see where those are going to come from. There's rumors that some are going to be in Australia. Uh, there's rumors of another European one, but that means our hopes, as we mentioned earlier, for a Midwest team or a Seattle team to come, neither <laughs> of which are going to happen for season right. two. No, I mean, and Toronto is a great city to have it in. Uh, they've been doing it. I mean, there's a ton of gaming and esports, and just that scene is, is, is pretty strong there. And so it doesn't surprise me. I mean, XQC won't play for them, I'm assuming. Um, but uh, it's it's <laughs> no. good to have another team. Again, rumored $35 million. Yeah. I mean, it's lower than the $60 million we we were hearing. Yes. Did, didn't you say they actually expanded uh, how many more they're going to have now, right? Because it, Well, original reports were saying four. Now four, that they're yeah. saying six, we'll see what it actually ends up being. I mean, as of now, we just have these three. Um, but given everything they've said, I would be shocked if it's just four because two more in Europe – or one in Europe, one in China, and two more in North America don't actually put them in some of the regions that they said they wanted to be involved in. So right. um, I think an Australian one and some other Southeast Asian one are maybe likely. I think another European one is also likely because we have to remember, like, they are only in London right now so it's not yeah. not unheard of them for them to maybe go to germany as well or maybe go even for, up to the scandinavian nations and we'll get something in like copenhagen or something but uh we've seen the money in esports there from those uh fifa franchises for example like a lot of the the uh, uh professional football clubs have invested in fifa teams or even in league of legends teams so we know the money's there for esports and in, in the eu right. so we'll see how that shakes out but like you said 35 million lower than we've heard but still a fair amount of money for toronto also probably the best city right now for canada to have outside of vancouver we know Mont we actually learned last year that Montreal actually has a lot of complications with bringing esports events to um, because of laws in Quebec. So Toronto mm -hmm. seems like the uh, obvious choice, and uh, that's what we're seeing. Uh, Clash Royale, so Supercell is launching the Clash Royale League with a $1 million prize pool, a game that we have not talked about a lot lately. You know, when we were digging really deep into mobile esports about a year ago, obviously Clash Royale was a very popular game, still a very popular game to the point where they still see, you know, even if it's probably going to involve like dudes sitting on oversized thrones, um, right, right, right. they're going to sit on oversized thrones for the chance at a million dollars. So nothing wrong with that. No, no, it's not. I mean, again, anytime there's more opportunity to make a living in esports, like I've said it time and time again, I'm I'm behind it. Uh, especially if it's like a legit like tournament way, and not like the weird betting thing. But you know, it just it's it's 
it's good. And I'm, I actually hope that uh, the studio who had been doing it in the past, I think it was like NGE, NGE was doing the production. I hope they get a stick with it. I, I think they're a great group of people. And uh, they do the stuff like where they do Battle Right. Uh, they also do um, uh, some Rocket League stuff as well. So I hope they I hope they get to continue with that. And it's not like now that we're putting a million dollars behind it, we're taking it away from a company who's done the, the groundwork for them. And it's not, let's be honest, it's not a super hard production to put for us. So there's not, I don't know what you're going to gain by moving to another company. Like observing Clash Royale is not a big challenge. It's a very low stress job as an observer for Clash Royale. So, right. Um, we, of course, do have the International coming up here in a couple of weeks, and we do have the group stages. I'm going to run through these real quick, but I also ran through these on the Daily Show today as well, if you heard those. But we got Group A, which is going to be Windstrike, Fanatic, PSG, LGD Gaming, Mineski, Evil Geniuses, VGJ Thunder, Team Liquid, OG, and Invictus. And Group B is going to be Vici Gaming, Pain Gaming, Team Serenity, Optic, Virtus Pro, TNC Predator, VGJ Storm, Team Secret, and Newbie. Say all those ten times fast. Uh, we also got some other interesting tidbits. Um, all Dota 2 teams traveling to the international acquired visas this year, which has been a problem in the past, <laughs> yeah. um, both for the major. We had, this happened in um, with 100 Thieves. They had to drop out of the E-League major Boston due to visa implications. We've seen a lot of visa issues, obviously, in esports in general. Um, this also is aided, as a point you made yesterday during the production meeting, but um, aided by the fact that it's in Canada this year. And this may not be the primary driver, but it is far easier to get visas for Canada yeah. than the U.S., especially in today's political climate. Indeed. Um, Valve has also reportedly announced uh, that International 9 will have 12 direct invites. Um, so that is different than the 8 that were invited to in the International, which was a extreme difference from what we saw from the previous International. So they're still going up and down trying to tweak that direct invite number. Um, more interestingly, Valve also advised today that professional teams need to stop accepting sponsorship from any gambling website, which is them continuing yeah. to... Now, we'll see if they, they start doing this more and more, but we've seen them slowly rolling out more of these rules to protect themselves as opposed to just whiplashing into it. Some of this may be to avoid um, implicating themselves in some of these potentially sticky legal situations, uh, but this is, a, this is a pretty big move, especially as gambling is actually moving towards being legal in the U.S. Right. for sports. Valve is backing off from that, recognizing that like you're still dealing with children and that's going to be a sticky situation no matter how you slice it yeah i think some of this it's it's weird like so valve historically has just played ignorant to a lot of stuff right now uh, especially when kingdom skins gambling they are like well we we have no control over that but then they could end up blocking like apis and actually tell where the traffic was coming from and yes they could have done it all along but they played dumb and so i guess the playing dumb defense didn't work out so well that time so now they're going to play like Let's uh, do it on the down you know, low. It's like peace kind of like mildly-ish bad cop, which is like, you know, suggestive cop. Like, you shouldn't do that, or you should end all of these sponsorships. And a lot of it is, I think it's just uh, saying, it's setting a precedent for saying, well, we said you shouldn't do that. Uh, so if they, but there's there's no meat as to what's going on. It, again, it's like one of those just kind of fluff posts, like, is there a greater meaning to this? Is there a, like, what's the actual rule is, are you going to, you know, not allow these teams to compete if they have it? Uh, you know, what constitutes running out a, a, a you know, a sponsorship? Like it, it, it's, it's not clear. And maybe they're, they're far clear uh, to actual teams competing in whatever leagues that they're, they're in. But I don't, it's, it's weird. It's, I don't know if they're just trying to set a precedent 
uh, or they're just really bad. They're like, we at, need to do something. We're not sure yet, but let's do something just so we can yeah, say we've done something. At stating what the actual rule is. Like, they don't know. My well, they said they, they did know. say in the meeting that they're going to have a longer discussion later about it, which is just uh, like, good. Good great. to know. Maybe that's when. Uh, yeah, so what do we do now if like a, a, a gambling site comes to us with a million dollars and wants to throw their logo on our jersey? Do we have enough guidance to say yes or no to that? Like it's No, you, you just say yes. You change it to purple and, and, and green. You bite the bullet when Reddit hates you. And, and you uh, deal with it because it's all about the monies. <laughs> right, right, right. All about maybe the maybe we'll get a, a final decision when Half-Life 3 comes out. Yes, totes. Uh, real quick, PUBG has launched fix.pubg.com. It is a multi-month campaign to fix Player Unknown's battlegrounds. They lay out a roadmap between now and the end of October to address client performance, server performance, cheating measures, matchmaking issues, as well as bug fixes and quality of life issues. They've just lost their way a little bit in development. There's a lot of stuff going on. Like they, this is interesting because they this is on the back end of an announcement they made last week where they're like, ah, we're still not esports ready, despite weird esports initiatives going on um and now they're saying that the game client's not ready either um yeah interesting they go i mean they, they put a lot of effort into the site to show the things that they are going to fix which i found very <laughs> odd but yeah. uh yeah there you go it's you know a lot of it is just they're wanting to show people that they're trying to fix the game with some clarity around the game it's like as i say it's like a giant kanban board or a giant trello board of stuff uh but it's like the prettiest kanban board or trello board you could have because and i'm sitting here thinking the entire time like the I, I, now i know web development is something completely different than actual game development but i'm like you put a lot of effort into this could that person have done something else i whatever but I just think it's uh, uh, it's it, it's good that they're doing this. I hope it it solves some some negativity issues that they have around the game, the game being broken because people know that hey, it's going to it's going to be worked on. But it's hard if, enough if to this, think the ship has sh- sailed though at this point, isn't it? <laughs> it uh, yeah, yeah. But I think they're. I feel like they're doing they're doing better in terms of. Uh, I feel like they're on an upward swing. I think they've definitely hit bottom. I, and I hopefully they're they're going the right direction. I believe that they are, but again, this, what happens is if this isn't updated regularly, if this doesn't like, there's no real good follow up. Yeah, to soon it, when you it'll become is when a you meme. post your Kanban board, if you miss your Kanban board, guess what? Most of the public has no idea what Agile is, and they're not going to buy your BS about why you're six months behind. Right, right. So you have to. I mean, if you're trying to be transparent, you need to be transparent about what actual timelines are, um, and be transparent that like, hey, this may take longer than we think, but. Uh, it's. I think it's a. It's a good a step in the right direction because the. I have a, a funny example is that uh, I think somebody was talking about. Uh, it's like bitching uh, at Blizzard's customer service like Twitter account because they were releasing skins but not fixing bugs in the game, and Twitter the Blizzard CS account actually responded back and says, "I'm not sure if you know about game development, but environment artists." aren't actual developers <laughs> like <laughs> you know they model like things the, on skin. two completely different skill sets and i'm and, and i think they said i'll tell you what you don't want the artist fixing your bugs <laughs> like <laughs> it's just it's true it is very um, very true i think yeah. PUBG unfortunately just let it get too bad like it's yeah they rushed a lot of stuff they yes. rush a lot of stuff but it doesn't help when you're up against a competitor like epic building Fortnite that is very agile and has had very good success moving quickly and making changes rapidly um, obviously a hell of a lot more firepower happening over there than there is a blue hole but like 
it's what you're up against and um you, you've got to adjust their plan accordingly and they they are um i, I feel like it's too slow i, I don't want to and this is not all doom and gloom here i'm like oh you know uh PUBG is gonna die i'm just saying you know, i don't know that PUBG. you're gonna ever catch Fortnite at this point no no i that that ship has in fact sailed uh but i i think they i feel like they've kind of stopped the bleeding yes i could be wrong i have to go look at numbers but it feels that way it feels like they're going the right direction well, we will see. Um, and a couple of interesting, funny news pieces. We'll start first with Battle Royale, a game that you and I had actually played a little bit last year, um, has decided to jump on the Battle Royale bandwagon, and they are planning <laughs> on introducing a Battle Royale mode. I have nothing other to say about this, and this feels like any game that is not doing as well as they thought they would thinks that the solution is to make a Battle Royale mode. That's Yeah, that's and then they actually splintered off the studio to actually just run this one game. <laughs> I'm just joking. That's, that's a lie. <laughs> no, that's coming later. We have to launch yeah. it first, or at least yeah, get an yeah. alpha. Yeah, so. and they're selling it to Tencent. I actually really enjoyed <laughs> Battle Royale as a game. I mean, I think it was probably like one of those games that's like fun. It's kind of like the... Uh, the other Smash Brothers ripoff fighting games mm-hmm. that pop up on Steam where like it's fun to play, but they're not going to be like a big deal. But the, like, right. guess what? I promise you, the battle royale version of this is going to do even worse, and you're just going to have wasted a bunch of time and money investing into that. But maybe every but now the, the problem thing. is is now Fortnite because what is different about this than the MMO era? Like we we do a lot of comparisons to like how things went with MMOs. It's like everybody went after WoW and they just couldn't catch WoW. The difference is is Fortnite is like this success story of like how you can pivot your game to battle royale and save it so now everybody feels like they need to pivot it's not just about bill everyone wants to make a new battle royale game everyone thinks they can pivot to battle royale and solve all their problems and it's like it's i get it but jesus uh tempo storm which apparently did not eat enough of this kick-ass beef jerky before the western clash is now sponsored by kick-ass beef jerky (laughs) which i did not even know was a thing but if you want 10% off your order of kick-ass beef jerky, this is not a sponsored post, uh, you can use the code TEMPO. And- <laughs> it's not a sponsored post, especially when you when you start it with like, yeah, they forgot to kick ass. And, <laughs> at, <laughs> Clearly the weekend. beef jerky is not doing its job. It does not yeah. do what it says on the tin. It could have been one of the reasons why they had the worst showing. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe they just had they indigestion. Did. That shit was just too... It just kicked their ass. They were just yeah, done, exactly. Done. There's a lot of bad jokes there. <laughs> Shooting right A lot of bad it. jokes. Um, and lastly... <laughs> We thought we edited this earlier in the episode. Your boy XQC and all his ninety oh, words a second rambling has gotten himself in trouble again. He has been yeah. had his Overwatch account suspended for more naughty language on stream. Um, this means he's now hindering Team Canada's ability to practice because he's going to be out of pocket for a little bit because he's unable to play yeah when are we going to learn <laughs> stop playing yeah, he this guy. i mean i get he was voted in but like should he even be available <laughs> to vote in like so the thing is is I, I think it's actually it's not so much from what he's done on twitch i think it was like from what he was typing into chat uh even though he claims like it was actually to people that he's friends with and like whatever but again if you're friends with four of the five people you're playing with or five of the six people you're playing with, that one person can report you for just it's clearly being what XQC, happens. right? Like, I think that's just a button now that they've added. Report so, XQC is just like an option in the dropdown. It just right. autofills disparaging language as they reason and says it's XQC, yeah. FYI. And then there's like literally it. no punctuation as what he said. It's just like one line. <laughs> Like, I had yeah. no, man, he used so many epitaphs, I didn't even know that was possible to do that in that many words. But, yeah, yeah. so XQC in trouble again. I'm sure this is not going to be the last we hear of it. Um, uh, interestingly enough, because Canada had a good run last year at the World Cup, I don't know if this is mm-hmm. going to... Uh, but 
what what this has done is he's brushed up on his uh, Skyrim puzzle solving skills. Uh, so is that what he's been just, doing on stream? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. There's like this whole whatever. Like he goes to solve a puzzle and he's like, I think you just order. I think you had to order the symbols by which animal is bigger. And he's like, bear first, dragonfly, and then owl. <laughs> and I'm like, wait. And it worked. And he, but he, he just didn't get the fact that he didn't put it in the right order. But he's just like, oh, see, I was right. I'm like, no. No. Dragon, no. no. Dragonfly is not what you're picturing, I don't think. <laughs> but he's just like, yeah, it's totally like the, the second puzzle I've figured out in a row, and I have no idea what I've done. It's like, all right, man. I thought you were about to say you had to order a pizza, and I was like, well, he's doing it right. Like, got no, order. no, yeah. Oh, man. Anyway, XQC, thank you for pro- continually providing this show content with your adventures there. It's glorious. I never, never a dull moment in XQC land. <laughs> oh man, that's a hell of a way to end the show. As always, uh, we appreciate everybody listening. You can check us out each and every Tuesday on iTunes, Overcast, Pocket Cast, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and on our site at nerfthis.gg. And of course, be sure to check out our daily show, Esports Daily, with myself, Seven, and Jules, which is available on all your podcatchers and also available as an Alexa flash briefing. Uh, we do appreciate those iTunes reviews. Five-star reviews do help people discover the show, which makes sure that you know we don't get fired, which is something that we greatly appreciate. And of course, if you want to direct any hate our direction or if you want to tell us your favorite xqc puzzle solving story you can do so by hitting us up on twitter at nerf this crew or facebook and instagram at nerf and that's going to do it for this episode we will see everybody next week for yet another episode of nerf this <laughs>